The following is a midnight entertainment presentation. It's time for 30 minutes of sci-fi, 30 minutes of fantasy, 30 minutes of pop culture, movies, and television. It's time for 30 minutes of geek. There's something very important I forgot to tell you. What? Don't cross the streams. Why? It would be bad. I'm fuzzy on the whole good-bad thing. What do you mean, bad? Try to imagine all life as you know it stopping instantaneously and every molecule in your body exploding at the speed of light. Total protonic reversal. All right, that's bad. Okay. All right, important safety tip. Thanks, Egon. This week, we take a look at the city that birthed the Dark Knight as Fox premieres their new series, Gotham. And, is Jim really the king of geek trivia? We have a sneak peek at next week's trivia Thunderdome. Plus, we sweep the cutting room floor for some geek leftovers. And now, the five-time winner of the Buckeye News Hawk Award, your host for 30 Minutes of Geek, Jim Yelton. Gentlemen, boys and girls and children of all ages, welcome to the worldwide broadcast that is more fun than spending a weekend partying with Tony Stark. It's 30 Minutes of Geek, and I'm your host, Jim Yelp. Well, we took last week off because we had a big live show here in Columbia, Missouri, and we want to thank you guys for being patient with our week off. And we also want to thank Ed Hansen and the Talking Horse Theater, Beth Key, Ben Hedrick, Chris Hayes, Chuck Poston, everybody that was there for all of their help. And we also want to thank our live audience for coming out and seeing the show. This week, we saw the premiere of the new Fox series, Gotham. To celebrate the 75th anniversary of Batman, we're putting together a series of shows focusing on different aspects of the Dark Knight Detective. And for this look at Batman, we brought in artist of Midnight Entertainment's own Extraordinary and our resident Batman expert, Steve Newton, for a wide-ranging discussion about Batman. In October, Steve and I are going to look at Batman's history in the comics. Then in November, we're going to chat about the various incarnations on TV, and we wrap things up in December as we talk about the various Batman films. It was during our TV discussion that Steve and I touched on our hopes for Gotham. I had planned on writing a blog this week about the Gotham premiere, but the the more and more I thought about it, I realized that everything I had to say was in the segment that we recorded a couple months ago with Steve. Steve and I have known each other for, holy crap we've known each other for nearly 25 years and batman's kind of one of those things that we bonded over so you can imagine the number of times that we've talked about various aspects of the character over the years i'm so looking forward to this the the preview trailer looks amazing this is something you and i have talked about for a long time yeah a long time yeah this period of time from bruce's parents being killed until him becoming batman Mm-hmm. has only been touched on one other time that I know of, and that's in Batman Begins, and it was kind of briefly. Yeah. But it actually kind of flash forwards. We see him as a kid. Yeah. And then we see him grown up. Mm-hmm. We very rarely have seen this part of his life. That's right. And when they first announced that they were doing Gotham, which the pilot episode starts with Bruce Wayne's parents being murdered, mm-hmm. and the series kind of launches from there... 
and it's more about Jim Gordon becoming a detective in Gotham and teaming up with Harvey Bullock and kind of learning the ropes of how Gotham The great Donald Logue, too. Oh, Donald Logue. That would be so good in the show. And that we get glimpses of some of the villains before they're the characters we know. And it's kind of all building to the Batman mythology that we know and love. But I know when they first announced it that the conversation we had, I said, this is genius. Mm Mm-hmm. Because they've got seven years to play with. Oh, yeah. And the series, if it ends with him being Batman, that's cool. But it doesn't have to. It doesn't have to. What it does have to do is it have to end with him deciding to be Batman. Yeah. I think we need 18-year-old Bruce Wayne saying, this is the path my life is going down. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go learn how to be Batman. Right. And get on the plane or get on the boat or go wherever he's going to go to start mastering the skills that he needs to be back. I mean, if he puts the costume on, that's fine with me, yeah. too. But I love this idea of we're finally going to get... Fill, fill in those lost years. Right. And it, it's going to be a detailed glimpse of how did this kid get the idea to be Batman? Yeah. Which is a, which is interesting because that's, a, that's a, a discussion we had. Right after we saw Batman Returns, you remember that? Uh, yeah. Where we talked about you know, Batman's origin story has only ever been glossed over, even even in comics, where they don't really ever cover those years. And what really is the catalyst for the Batman persona? Because it could, it can't just be Bruce Wayne decided to put on a bat suit. I mean, there's something had some. There's other things that right. have to happen. Yeah, there, there's yeah, yeah, and I think which there's which a lot which of which, stuff. which they did a great job of in Batman Begins. That's that's great. Yeah, and um, it provides a little bit more of a catalyst because I've always said his parents being murdered wouldn't necessarily is, directly lead to Batman. Yeah, yeah, it's one of the reasons why he becomes Batman, and it, it's the thing that drives, it's the driving force. But like you said, it's not the catalyst that makes him become Batman. And I've always contended that Alfred as a character should have more of a role in that. Mm-hmm. Alfred's always been portrayed as like this passive participant in Bruce being Batman. Yeah. And I think Alfred has to be a more active, hands-on, pushing him towards that. And maybe reluctantly, like, you know, it doesn't need to be his choice. It needs to be Bruce driving it all. But Alfred, and I I know when you and I have kind of thrown ideas around, I mean, my take on it is Alfred's the guy that's like, well, if you're going to do this, then let's do it right. Let's do this, this, and this. And it's Michael Caine kind of plays that role in the movies, yeah. but not to the extent that I want to see it. In and it show. sounds like that's what they're going to be doing in Gotham. Yeah, because uh, I, I want to see... Their Alfred, yeah. To me, Alfred is suffering almost as much as Bruce because of how he feels about this family. Yeah. And, and the responsibility that he's been left with now that he has to take care of Bruce. Mm-hmm. I like the idea of there being a flawed, unprepared for this role that he's been thrust into, Alfred. And that he's struggling just as much as Bruce. Mm-hmm. And that at some point, their struggles are going to cross, and Batman's going to be born from from the intersection of their struggle. That's interesting. Yeah, that... and, and, you know, I don't know that that's the direction they're going to go in, Could... but I think the fact that they're going to play up all of these emerging villains and... Gotham's already a pretty bad place when the show starts, mm-hmm. and I just see it kind of escalating and, and snowballing to where it gets to the point where the only answer Bruce can come up with is, 
I have to be Batman. Mm-hmm. Like somebody has to do this, and I'm the one that's better prepared. For right, that. right. Yeah, I have the money and I have the skills and the resources. I have the drive to do it, and it gets back to the one thing we keep coming back to when we talk about Batman. It's it's all about his drive and his willpower. Mm-hmm. I can't wait. And people kind of pick apart what they're doing with some of the villains, and I don't have a problem with it. I mean, I don't really. I mean, it's 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 that's going to be what it's going to be. But the, the important the important element of that is as long as they establish the world that this takes place in convincingly, it'll work. It'll well, and because I think you know some of the nitpickiness with the villains is that people are like they think that. Batman should be around before the villain. I've always been of the opinion that it should most definitely be the other way around. Yeah. Like, and, Batman is the response, not the other and way around. Don't get me wrong. I, I didn't have a problem in the movie, in the Nolan movies, with them talking about, you know, the escalation. the escalation and, you know, the villains were responding to Batman. That's fine. That's fine. But, but you- let's, let's do the opposite in this. And Batman is clearly the response to how crazy Gotham is. Right. And a, a great a great example of that is to go back to the animated series, the episode where Batman's on trial in Arkham Asylum. His defense attorney, that, which at the beginning of that episode, she, she had no use for Batman, was, was anxious to get him behind bars, winds up having to defend him in, in this kangaroo court in Arkham Asylum. She comes to the realization that Batman didn't create all these villains, they created him. And if they do that in the show, that, that'll, be, that'll be excellent, so. Clearly, they've already set up. They're going to have a proto-penguin. Like, he's not the penguin yet. Right. Getting there. Cat Catwoman's there. Poison Ivy's a little kid. Edward Nygma's in the mix. Yeah. The one thing, I and I think you'll love how they string this out, they said that every episode is going to have an, an allusion or a nod to the Joker. Yeah. And by the end of the first season, they could have set up 20 different people that could end up being oh, the really? Joker. Cool. And you won't know. Wow. I mean, the Joker at some point is going to pop up, and you're not going to know which of the 20 or 30 different options they've presented. That's, that's awesome. That's and I kind of like that. I love that idea. I like that because the Joker is the top of the mountain as far as Batman villains. So people are going to be looking for him. Mm -hmm. And especially coming off of what's arguably the greatest portrayal of the Joker ever with Heath Ledger, people are wanting to see how they do the Joker in this. Yeah. And I love the idea that they could string it out for all seven years of the show. That's a great idea. That's and awesome. We don't ever have to see the Joker, but they no. drop little hints and bits and pieces here and there right. and never show us the guy. Mm-hmm. I kind of love that. I or do, too. The idea that maybe that's the last season. I mean, that's what finally pushes Bruce over the edge to say, okay, I have to be Batman because of this guy. Right, yeah. That would like, be cool. That would be I mean, amazing. That, that would be really cool. Yeah. And I tell you what, that that also plays into, a, you know, talking about which came first, you know, the, the horse or the cart when it comes to Batman or his villains. And to me, it seems, it makes Batman more heroic if he's not the cause of all these lunatics running around in the city. Right, and it's the exactly. other way around. Like he says before with the thing about escalation and Batman begins, I mean, that, that kind of makes sense. But those people were already doing, they were already bad seeds before he showed up. Now, granted, the idea that him running around, jumping off rooftops, wearing a mask and all that might give them ideas about the performance art crime, but they were already there doing evil crap. So that makes Batman that much more heroic if he has to step up in this new role to to respond to all that. Right, exactly. Because And and I think it plays into the idea that he's the only one that can. can, yeah. Or he's the only one that has the force of will to do it. Right. 
And it, one of the things that I'm most interested in seeing as the show plays out, if it lasts the full run mm-hmm. and, and Bruce gets older, is the developing relationship between Bruce and Gordon. And Gordon. Because I love the fact that we're... Because it's not just seeing Bruce grow up and become Batman. The show's about Gordon. Yeah. And I love that. Oh, that's... that's And and I love the fact that we're going to see the growth of a character that has been off to the side for so long. And he was there from the very beginning, too. So, comics-wise. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. But the idea that the end game for this show is Gordon coming to the realization that... He needs help. he's, He's not enough. Yeah. That normal police are not enough to deal with what Gotham is, City is, is infected yeah. Gotham mm-hmm. and the, the craziness of Gotham and that Gotham needs Batman. Yeah. And I can't wait to see that play out. I mean that's that'll be that'll be fun. I'm giddy thinking about the show. I know. I can't wait. I hope you do. To get updates about all of the goings on with the gang at 30 Minutes of Geek, like us on Facebook. You can find the show's page at Facebook.com slash 30 Minutes of Geek. Join the fun, find out about upcoming appearances, vote in our online polls, and much more. It's time to get your geek on. That's facebook.com slash 30 minutes of geek. Hey gang, today's show is sponsored by Omni Consumer Products. The company behind many of the products we know and love is proud to announce its latest and greatest innovation, the Enforcement Droid 209. The future of law enforcement, the ED-209 series is armed with three auto cannons, an auto shotgun, and a rocket launcher capable of firing three rockets. It also has additional combat programming for close-range combat and a speech center to synthesize human voices for peacekeeping matters. The ED-209 from OCP. Please put down your weapon. You have 20 seconds to comply. I think you should listen to him. Listen on. This is the truth of it. Fighting leads to killing. And killing gets to warring. And that was damn near the death of us all. Look at us now. But we've learned by the dust of them all. Now when men get to fighting, it happens here. And it finishes here. Two men enter, one man leave. And right now, I've got two men. Two men with a gut full of fear. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, dying times here. Right, next week on the show is going to be our first Trivia Thunderdome Challenge. 
You see, ever since I was a kid, I was one of those people that consumed useless information. Like, I've always been a trivia person, and in fact, it's gotten to the point where family and friends have changed the rules of uh, Trivial Pursuit or seen it. When we when we play any sort of trivia game, I always end up having to go around the board twice or collect twice as many pieces, or there's always some challenge that they have to make up so that I don't completely overwhelm the competition and and when. And then when I moved to Columbia, I got involved with theater again, and I started hanging around a, a certain group of people, and it turns out that there was a gathering of geeks every summer, and it was called NerdCon, and it was just kind of a, a loose gathering of friends that was created by Meg Phillips. And when I went, there was a trivia tournament that's actually held as part of NerdCon, and you get a team of three people, and Chris Hayes runs the tournament there. And, and so when I decided to do a podcast, I knew that I wanted Chris to do trivia here on the show, and we decided to create a little thing called Trivia Thunderdome, and we're going to challenge somebody to come in once a month and take the crown away from me to try and challenge me in geek trivia. So to give you a little sneak preview of what you're going to see next week, here's a look at Trivia Thunderdome. Part of NerdCon is that Chris does Nerd Bowl, and there's been a fairly, it's usually there's always like two people that carry over, and then they draft a third one, but there's like this dynasty that's been going on for years. And I invited, it's, now it's Team Awesome 2.0, and I invited all of them, and unfortunately they couldn't all make it. Chuck came in, so Chuck, why don't you introduce yourself first and tell everybody kind of where you got drafted into Jim and Chris's NerdCon dynasty? Uh, well, for about five years, I uh, served as one of Jim Little's minions at the power plant. And we were in charge of simulating nuclear meltdowns and disasters and other horrible things on a fairly regular basis. And uh, when the NerdCon came up, he said, Chuck, I know that you're kind of um, a nerd. <laughs> Maybe you could help me out. We're having a team. Chris is going to be doing trivia. Uh, why don't you come in and uh, be a part of my team? And we had Team Nuclear that first year. So we brought in another one of our engineers, and that year we won. And I have to say that every year since, the level of competition has increased dramatically. <laughs> such that it's a little more intimidating every year. <laughs> so I am, uh, with Chris's questions here, I'm a little bit nervous. Well, and I, I know that you said, did you go back all the way to the the first year that you did it? I did or not. were you cherry-picking questions well, for this? I basically took these mainly from about three years ago. Okay. Thinking, hoping Chuck doesn't remember from three years yeah. ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do not. I didn't keep my record well, from the first and, year. And mm. like Chuck said, I mean, it's funny because it's almost like the level of competition has risen as long as their dynasty continues. Like, I know people are actively scouting trivia teammates throughout the year, and they're like, oh, you've got to be on my team. We have to beat those guys. So... <laughs> So the way this is going to work is, um, since it's just me and Chuck tonight, we're each going to get three strikes. So it could go three rounds. It could go five. We might have a tiebreaker. And, and Chris, if I understand right, the way we work this out, you've got five categories. That is correct. There's five questions in each category. Correct. So each category, we're going to play best three out of five. And whoever wins the category, the other person gets a strike. So yep. why don't you go ahead, whatever category you want to start with. Okay, we will start with Star Trek then. And I will let Chuck go first. 
we're not going to do a coin toss. It's my damn show. So <laughs> I, I elect to, I guess it would be receive. I'm going to let him take the first. Okay. All right. Who was originally offered the role of Spock? Oh, my. No, it wasn't George Kahn. <laughs> <laughs> he was the third choice. <laughs> oh, goodness. First offered Spock. I'm going to have to pass. I'm going to have to pass. I, I don't know. You know, I'm really going to hate myself because I just read an article yesterday <laughs> about this. Oh, God. Okay. Martin Landau. Incorrect. It was actually DeForest Kelly who went on to play. Oh. <laughs> One of our audience members knew it. All right. So no answer. So you're up this time. I am up. Okay. Who was the only Star Trek cast member to direct episodes in four Star Trek series? It was, uh, well, let's see, LeVar Burton. That is correct. All right. So one nothing. Third question. To Chuck, what were the Borg initially conceptualized as? Insects. That is correct. 1-1 one, one going into our fourth question. For Jim, what planet is Khan exiled to during the original Star Trek series? It was SETI. Alpha 5. That is correct. Chuck, you have to get this to force the tiebreaker. What letter do most male Vulcan names begin with, and what letter do most female Vulcan names begin with? Uh, male names typically begin with S, Spock, and Sarek. And yes. Female names. Oh, my. There's George Takei again. <laughs> ooh. Ooh. Chris, I, I'm drawing a blank here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, <laughs> gonna have to pass on this one too. It looks like, looks like I lose this uh, right. category. Did you know the correct answer? It was T. It was T. Yes. Very nice. So Jim wins the first category. Will Jim hold onto his lead and capture the trivia Thunderdome title, or will Chuck come back and win it all? This is a trivia battle for the ages, and you won't want to miss the final round. Two men enter, and only one will leave as the trivia Thunderdome champion. Tune in next week to hear the thrilling conclusion. every 30 minutes of the show each week and sometimes we just don't have enough time for all of the great interviews that we do and we have to cut them down to fit the show that's when we have geek leftovers here's a lost segment from our interview with author van allen plexico with van and i discussing what comes after age of ultron and marvel's plans for the upcoming ant-man movie what do you think about Ant-Man as yeah. far as we know with, with the casting because they've gone with Paul Rudd playing Scott Lang and they've got Michael Douglas playing an older Hank Pym? That was interesting to me that they went with Scott Lang. I mean, Henry Pym just seems to me so much more of an interesting character. There's so many things you can do. But then again, I guess 
having Tony Stark and Bruce Banner already, they didn't want to do yet another hero who's the brilliant science guy. That's that's without even having Reed Richards, you know, in the in yeah. the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So I can kind of see them going away from Pym because a lot of the stuff that makes Pym interesting is stuff you really wouldn't want to try to explain in a movie. His checkered past, and if you give Ultron to Tony Stark, you've torn half of his whole raison d'etre from you know right. away right there. All you're left with is the Wasp, and and the one thing I'm really disappointed in is apparently we don't really get like a young funny wacky Jan because that would have been so much fun but I get Scott Lang I, I was wondering then if they were going to do Scott Lang or going to do the the, the irredeemable Ant-Man because he's a pretty entertaining concept of the character too yeah Scott Lang's a great character I, again Ant-Man Scott Lang they're rolling out as a big budget feature film who ever thought you'd see a Scott Lang movie? Right, exactly. Like it's whenever, insane. Whenever they were talking about developing Ant-Man, at least in my mind, I always thought, well, that's going to be Hank Pym. Yeah. Like, it's, it's going to be Hank, and it's going to be Jan, and, you know, they'll throw in a couple of the cooler old school 60s and 70s villains that they fought and it'll be a fun movie never in my wildest imagination did i think they would have gone with hank being older and mentoring scott lang as ant-man but i do think this fits into the broader discussion and in the broader plan of marvel's universe because i think they realized that from the end of world war ii until iron man we really have this whole playground that we can play with that's not going to really be in the movies all that much and that we can do flashbacks to. And I think that's one of the reasons why they went with an older Hank Pym because they can kind of fill in some of the blanks in the Marvel Universe as far as some of the historical stuff that may have led up to S.H.I.E.L.D. and may have led up to us getting where we were at the beginning of Iron Man. And I think it's really interesting because one of the rumors about Edgar Wright stepping down as director of Ant-Man was that he didn't want to rewrite the script to meet some of the mandates coming from Marvel and that they wanted to have more cameos in it and that the mm. cameos were Howard Stark and Peggy Carter mm-hmm. and that they were trying to tie in Hank and his early work developing the Pym ah. Particles to stuff that was going on in the 50s and 60s. You know, let me stop you right there for just a second because I was just, before you said any of that, I was just sitting here thinking that I'd be a lot happier about Ant-Man if I thought that there would be sections of it where you have a younger actor playing instead of Michael Douglas, and you do it as sort of like Mad Men. Yeah. Have it make it be a period piece set in like the 60s or 70s or something. And, I think, and you could actually have the Wasp and everything. Right. She, and, she's a better character as like a 60s ditzy debutante than she is as just another modern female superhero, I think. Right. And I, and I think what Marvel's getting really good at is they're sowing the seed for things like that. It doesn't necessarily mean that they have to do that, but they're leaving the door open to where they could do something like that down the road. And whether it's characters that that they add to the upcoming Peggy Carter, Agent Carter series that they're working on, or they save it for an Ant-Man sequel down the road. I mean, it's there and they can do it. And I think they know that because fans are the way they are, that we'll be happy getting it in a sequel, even if we didn't get it in the first movie. If they were to do a flashback show, a younger Hank Pym with Jan and them kind of hooking up and and becoming the original Ant-Man and Wasp, then I Mm -hmm. think we would go crazy. 
Especially yeah. if, like you said, it was like set in the 60s or 70s and it, it had like that Mad Men vibe to it. It, it would be kind of cool. Yeah, they, those characters work better, I think, in that period than they do now. And they lose a lot of what makes them. I mean, what made Hank and Jan so special was that they were the prototypical 60s couple where the girl was looking to catch a husband, you know, and but she had one eye on Thor and his muscles and the other on Hank. You can't really do that as much today. That's not PC. But back then, that's how it was, you know, more or less. So that would be uh, very entertaining, I think. And now, 30 minutes of Geek Presents Advice for the Lovelorn. For those of you who caught our first episode, you know that we presented a segment, Advice for the Lovelorn, and it didn't really work out the way we planned. Uh, Our advice guru that we had for the first segment was a little confusing, possibly because he's a Jedi and 800 years old, and sometimes, you know, the brain doesn't work all the way, but it was Yoda, and he didn't exactly give right advice, so we decided to retool the segment, reformat it, and get a new advice guru in here, and so this time we're going to really, we're going to make this work. This is going to be a good segment, advice for the geek love lorn out there, and this week our advice guru is Chewbacca the Wookiee. Oh crap. Does anybody know how to speak Wookiee? Anybody? Any, anybody here? No, guys, nobody can translate. Man, we really didn't think this segment out, did we? Well, it looks like we're out of time for this edition of 30 Minutes of Geek. I want to thank our guests, Steve Newton, Chris Hayes, and Chuck Poston for walking into the Trivia Thunderdome, and we look forward to that segment next week. And we also want to thank Van Allen Plexico, and I also want to thank all of the people that have gone to Facebook.com slash 30 Minutes of Geek and liked the show on Facebook. We've actually grown. There's been more than 200 people that have liked the show just in the past week. So we want to thank all of you guys for joining, and make sure to tune in next week for 30 Minutes of Geek. This is your host. Jim Yelton reminding you that if somebody asks if you're a god, you say yes. Next week, Jim puts his geek trivia reputation on the line in the first challenge in the Trivia Thunderdome. Quizmaster Chris Hayes will provide the questions as Jim takes on nuclear engineering genius Chuck Postun from the NerdCon Trivia Champions. Team Awesome 2.0, it's no holds barred excitement coming up on the next 30 minutes of geek. 30 Minutes of Geek is a production of Midnight Entertainment LLC Copyright 2014, all rights reserved. Find out more about Midnight's exciting offerings including a full library of 30 Minutes of Geek episodes, bonus content, blogs, and much more at midnight-entertainment.com.